Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Sunday program here at the Midwest Catholic Family Conference. My name is Mark Bogner. I'm a member of St. Francis of Assisi Parish here in Wichita. I'm happy to be your MC through the day today on this stage. Just some housekeeping items here. If your teenager is not participating in the uh, teen programs, they should be with their parents anytime in the adult talks. The information and hospitality booth is in the connecting lobby between the two venues. It has a first aid center and a message board, lost and found. We had quite a few items that were lost and found yesterday, so check there if you lose anything or find anything. And they also have a doctor or a nurse on call throughout the hours of the convention. So if you're not feeling well or uh, need a little first aid, that's the place to go. And if you were here yesterday, you know the importance of the paging screens. So um, be sure and keep an eye on those throughout the convention so that you know um, any notifications of violations of parking or uh, kids needing help in the kids area. Um, certainly if you uh, see your child's name up there or your name, uh, you'd want to go and get there as quickly as possible with your ID bracelet to the children's program to help out your child. We're gonna be celebrating mass today at 11 o'clock with the bishop. The collection during the masses will go uh, to offset expenses of the conference. As you can imagine, the expenses just go up and up every year. And uh, I was reading last night that about a third of the expenses are offset by the collections at the masses. So pretty important, big chunk of the uh, financial support. So uh, pray to the Holy Spirit and reach deep into your pockets. And if you wanna make out a check, make it out to a Midwest Catholic Family Conference. And talking about uh, parking things earlier, if you happen to park on the west side where it said it's reserved for priests and you're not a priest, if you could please move your cars. Uh, we've got a lot of priests showing up today and uh, yesterday we had a problem with that. So if you happen to park there, uh, if you could please move your vehicle. If you have any religious articles that you purchased here or brought with you that you would like blessed, those will be blessed after mass. A reminder that the Adoration Chapel is in room 202 at the top of the stairs on the second floor. It's open now until 1035 and then it will close down for Mass and reopen at 1215 and it'll be open through 3 o'clock this afternoon. So plenty of opportunity to get in there and uh, adore the Blessed Sacrament. And if you're wondering where that is, the stairs are to the right as you are entering the lobby between the Convention and Expo Hall. I guess from here it'd be left, wouldn't it? If you're putting it on your calendar for next year, and we hope you are, the next year's conference is gonna be August 2nd through the 4th of 2024. So again, that first weekend in August, 2nd through the 4th next year. We wanna thank all of our many sponsors and local businesses that help support our conference. If you can, please support the businesses that are listed in our programs as sponsors. And please be good stewards of our, uh, of our convention center here. If you see any trash or anything laying around, um, if it if it's, has value, take it to the lost and found. If it's obviously trash, uh, please get it to a receptacle somewhere. We want to keep our convention center clean, whether it's your trash or not, if you just happen to see it laying around. 
And finally, after the conference, you're gonna receive an email with a survey, and these are very important. We read every single one of them, and they really help form next year's uh, convention. So whether you have something positive to say, something critical to say, maybe ideas for speakers you'd love to hear, if we can afford them, <laughs> we would love to uh, get all of your feedback um, on anything. You know, if you want the Pope, probably not gonna happen, but you, know, you never know. Okay. So I am very pleased to announce our first speaker here this morning. We're honored to welcome a professional who seamlessly intertwines faith and, and mental wellness. Catherine, Catherine, oh, it's too early in the morning to talk. <laughs> Catherine Denuzzo. Catherine is a licensed professional counselor, and Catherine has a private practice and also operates Sacred Heart Mental Wellness, an online platform dedicated to providing Catholics with resources for their mental health. At sacredheartmentalwellness.com, you will find digestible, tangible, and easy to consume resources for the Catholic who wants to live a mentally fit lifestyle. With a wealth of experience, Catherine has addressed global audiences on mental wellness, featured on platforms like Focus, EWTN's Women of Grace, and the Military Council of Catholic Women. Living in the heart of Kansas with her husband and four wonderful children, Catherine embodies the spirit of our conference. Please join me in extending a warm welcome to Midwest Catholic Family Conference speaker, Catherine Denuzzo. So I first want to start by saying I've done these talks all around the world, and that by far was the best intro I've ever had. I give it my like a, that was great. So what I want to start with is prayer. I think before we do anything, we should always start in prayer. So let's go ahead. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. O most sacred heart of Jesus, I place all my trust in thee. O most sacred heart of Jesus, I place all my trust in thee. O most sacred heart of Jesus, I place all my trust in thee. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So as we get ready in today's talk, I want to start by saying thank you. Thank you for coming to the anxiety talk. I truly feel that anxiety is one of the great plagues that are, are causing problems in our society today, and it's one that nobody is talking about. A lot of people feel it, a lot of people see it, a lot of people know about it, but we're not talking about how mental health is in our world today and how it is being affected and the struggles. And so it takes a lot of courage to come to a talk and sit and learn about anxiety, especially when I know there's amazing talks other places. So I wanna first thank you for taking this step. If it's for yourself, great job. If it's for someone you love, who you're like, I try to talk to my friend who has anxiety and every time I say something, I say it wrong and we end up worse off than we started. This talk is for you too. So thank you for being here to learn this information. We're gonna start by giving an overview of what today's gonna look like. So, the purpose. My goal today is to empower you with knowledge. I am gonna give you lots of information and probably more than you're gonna be able to fully remember today. So, if you're interested and you're like, man, that was a lot of good stuff, 
I do have a book that I ask you to come look at because it has all of that information and more. We're going to talk about what is happening in your body when you feel anxious. Because anxiety lies to you and it tells you that you are no good, you are weak, you are bad. And I'm here to tell you and reject that lie right now. Anxiety does not mean that you are bad, that you are weak. Your body is responding to fear, to a stimulus. And when we have that fear, it causes us to feel different ways. And that fear is good and it keeps us safe when we're in danger. But sometimes the thing we're actually afraid of isn't dangerous. So we're gonna better understand that. We're also going to talk about how do we deal with it? Once I know what's happening in my body, how do I treat it? How do I have intentionality with some strategies that I can do when I'm feeling that anxious response? How do I talk to other people about anxiety? At the end, we're gonna talk about how do we talk to our kids? How do we build those relationships? How do I explain to my husband how I feel or my wife how I feel? How do I start those conversations with my kids so that we can start being on the same page and bringing anxiety and mental health out of the darkness and into the light? Now, this, this talk is too short for me to give you all the information you need and it's not going to solve all of your problems. It is not gonna cure you of anxiety. You're not gonna leave here and be like, I'm healed but you will have the power. You will be empowered with knowledge that will help you start overcoming anxiety. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. I believe if you take anxiety and you boil down the feelings, it starts with that I'm not enough. It's the lie that the world tells you that you're not old enough, young enough, blonde enough, brown enough, short enough, tall enough. Whatever you are, it is not enough. And that is a lie, that's the first lie, that's the first domino of all of these emotions. So we have to look at the beginning. Sorry, it's moving. <laughs> okay, so let's look at the beginning. In the Bible it says, before I, knew you, before I put you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I set you apart, right? So in our creation, we are good and we are enough. Now, we live in a capitalistic society, and I believe that this capitalistic society is what keeps this lie going. What would happen to our economy if everyone in this room just thought they were good enough and they didn't need to buy the new pants and the new shirt and the new workout program and this and that, right? If we stop, all advertising is saying what you have is not enough and what I have will make you enough. So inundated, social media, friends, life, everywhere we go, is selling the idea that you were not created enough. And Jesus, I like this image of God up in heaven, and he's making you, right? And he looks down and he says, oh, how am I going to make Catherine today? I'm going to give her brown curly hair because though she hates it as a teen, she'll love it as an adult. I'm going to give her these parents because they're going to make her stronger. I'm gonna give her this husband because it'll help her get to heaven. And he needs her too. He's going to put challenges and blessings into my life. And he looks at it and he goes, perfect. This is exactly the way that's gonna bring her to me. And then what do we do? Oh God, why do I have curly hair? 
why am I short? He's like, you're Puerto Rican. And so we do this, right? And we're like, oh, why? Why am I the way they am? Why did you put these challenges in my life? And I really believe God's up in heaven going, I made you perfect. Just the way I want you. And when we do that, we we challenge with him that what he made isn't perfect and God only makes perfection, right? And sometimes we have to remember that the way that we love ourselves is also how God is trying to love us. So we have to challenge that and be like, okay, God, I see you. I am enough. And once we start to realize that God made us good, then we can start managing our anxiety. Okay, so what is anxiety and where does it come from? So today we're going to talk about what I call the anxious response, is when you feel that anxiety in your body. And when we do that, it's when our body is having fight or flight. It senses a danger. It thinks we're going to die. Your body's going, we're going to die, we're going to die. Except there's this moment when your brain, this cognitive part of your brain we're going to talk about, is like, we're not going to die, you're fine. And those two are in a fight. Right? The animal brain is saying, it's a bear, it's a bear. And your cognitive brain's like, it's not a bear, it's meeting your in-laws for dinner. It's not a bear. And it's those moments where you're fighting is where anxiety lies. So we're going to break that down. We're going to break it down into smaller pieces because right now, most of you are thinking, I like that idea. I don't know if I believe her. So I'm going to try to win you over. Okay, so before we can start, we have to do a little biology class. Okay, so... We're going to talk about the brain. Now, you can use this picture up here, but honestly, one of the best ways to describe the brain is my very high-tech model here. It always works. Okay, so this right here, if you can do it, it'll help. Okay, this is the frontal part of your brain. Okay, this is right here. This is where all your thinking happens. This is where your decision-making happens. They say this is your personality. If any of you have little children, this will make a better sense of when we're talking about the brain, okay? So remember, thinking part, and then we're talking about the kids. So, and then up, if this is your spinal cord, this is where all your senses go, and straight up in the middle of your brain is what we call your limbic system. And your limbic system is the part that keeps you alive. It regulates your heart rate, your respiration, all the things that you don't want to think about, okay? So what happens if we did a basic neuropathways is that we, our eyes see, our ears hear, right? They sense, and they send that stimulus up through the spinal cord, up into the animal brain, or to the limbic system. I call it the animal brain because it just responds. It doesn't think. It just reacts, right? And then that limbic system works like the post office. So it sends out the information to your thinking brain, your thinking brain makes a decision. So imagine you're cooking a a pot of pasta. You can smell the the pasta cooking. You can see the water boiling. You can feel pain on your hand. All of those senses go up your spinal cord, up into your animal brain. Your animal brain takes it to your thinking brain and it says, hello, you're burning your hand. And then it says, move your hand. So you move your hand, then it goes back and you move your hand, okay? So that's a basic example of our neuropathways. This is really important because if we're walking down a path and our senses, right, we think 
um, that our brain thinks, but it really works with stimulus that comes through our, the animal brain with our senses. So up here, we're walking through a path, we see a bear. We smell the stinkiness of the bear. We see a big hairy animal. This animal brain takes a picture and it's like, bear, bear, we're gonna die, we're gonna die. So it decides to start pumping stress hormones into your system. These are adrenaline and cortisol. What these do is these prepare your body to either fight or flight. So I'm gonna fight the bear or am I gonna run from the bear? And as you start to do that, your heart rate is gonna increase. Why does our heart rate increase? Because we need oxygen to run from a bear, okay? Our stomach starts to feel icky. Our digestion slows down because if I have to run from a bear, I can't be digesting the burrito I just ate a couple minutes ago, right? My muscles start to get pumped up and they got all the adrenaline in them. Some people will say, I feel like I'm a tiger in a cage, right? And then we start to have this disconnect between our thinking brains and our animal brain, right? Because if I had to sit and think, can I fight this bear? What is the probability of me winning? I'm probably not gonna do very well, right? So we actually have a disconnect, right? What does that feeling remind us of? When we're anxious, right? Those are all the same feelings because where anxiety lies is when your body thinks there's a bear but your brain knows there isn't, right? That's why when you start to feel anxious and you've been studying for a test and you're like, I know the answers to this, or I've been studying for an interview and I'm ready. And then I get there and I'm like, I don't know what I studied. I don't remember anything. It's because of that disconnect with anxiety, okay? And so once we start to understand that this is the way that it is, then we can start treating it. Now, one of the misconceptions that so many people have is that they believe that they have control over this animal part of their brain this part of their brain that is just based on reflexes, right? On responding to the stimulus. And so this is where anxiety wins so many times because we're like, what's wrong with me? I know it's not a bear, Catherine. I sit and I'm like, my mother-in-law is not scary. She's not as scary as I think. We'll do a boundaries talk later, but. I know, I know what's wrong with me. Like, I know I can go to work and my, the people there love me. I know that my kids care. I know that my husband loves me. Like, why am I so anxious? Why can't I stop this? Why am I weak, stupid, or bad? And I'm telling you, it's because this animal brain, we don't have cognitive control over it. And once we can accept that, then we can start challenging it. So most of the time when I do this, I have a couple people in the audience who thinks that they can control their animal brain that they're the anomaly who has the ability to do this. So I always like to do a little experiment just to see how well it works, okay? I wanna know if there's any of those anomalies here today. Okay, so what I want you to do is I want you, with all, I want you to close your eyes, and yes, I know everyone hates that, but I want you to do it for just a second. And with all of your mental ability, I want you to stop your heart from beating. Okay, did you guys actually try over there? I can try. Okay. I call that the, the international giggle because no matter which culture I've done this conference in, I've done it in Asia, in Europe, in the U.S., all around, I still get that giggle. 
And it's this very powerful giggle, because I want you to hold on to that giggle. Because do you know what that giggle means? <laughs> I can't stop my heart from beating, right? Because God doesn't want you to die. He loves you. This fight or flight response is good when there's a bear. Like, in my book, I challenge my readers. I'm like, by the end of this book, you're going to thank God for your anxiety. And every time I say that, they look at me like, I'm crazy. Like, not even possible. And I'm like, because of the response, that anxious response is good because God loves you and he wants you safe from the bears. We just have to help use our minds to find out when we're not with bears, when we're actually in a safe place, but my mind thinks that I'm scared. So hold on to that giggle, because when we start challenging the anxiety and we use the tools, we're going to use that giggle. Okay? So another kind of to convince you of how powerful this animal brain is, I want you to think about if you've ever seen a scary movie. Okay, I want you to think about the scene when something jumps out at you. What's the first thing that you do? <gasps> you jump back, right? And then you think about what it is, right? I jump, something jumps out at me, I move, and then I go, oh wait, that was a scary clown. Right? I don't go, ooh, that's a scary clown. Ooh. Right? And I think this is a good example where you can feel how quickly God gave our brains this power to keep us safe. Even before we have any cognitive control over our reaction, it has already been decided for us. Okay? So we get to sit back, so our body protects us first, and then we process. Then we figure out what the piece is. So these are all the reasons why we have to take that first step of realizing that you are not bad, you are not crazy, there's nothing wrong with you when you feel anxious. But what we have to do is then stop the anxious response. So like I said, when that animal brain is scary, it starts scared, it starts pumping all that adrenaline and cortisol into our system, and it's ready to fight or flight. And we have a choice. We can either stop that production, or we can reinforce that production. Okay, so now that I know what's happening in my body, what am I going to do to stop that production of those hormones, or what I call the anxious response? The first thing we're going to do is we're going to get off the hamster wheel. Okay, what is the hamster wheel? The hamster wheel looks like this. Oh no, I can feel my tummy. My heart rate's beating. I can feel the anxiety. Oh no, I'm anxious. Oh no, now I'm anxious that I'm anxious. Oh no, no, I, I can't stop it, and I can't think it, I must be bad, oh no, I'm anxious, that I'm anxious, that I'm anxious, that even makes me more anxious. And I keep going, and I keep going, and instead of telling that animal brain, no, you're okay, you're safe, instead I keep going more and more, like I'm telling it, we are in danger, we are, and that animal brain's like, okay, I guess we're in danger, here's more and more adrenaline and more cortisol, right? So much that some people will say that they feel like they're having a heart attack because their heart rate starts beating so fast, right? So the first step is to get off the hamster wheel, to take that step and to say, I know that I am not crazy, I am not bad. When I have these same moments, I stop and say, thank you, God, for giving me a brain that keeps me safe, but right now, I am safe. A really important, a really good example of this is I, when I was growing up, my dad was an alcoholic. And if you've ever had an alcoholic in your life, very often night times are scary. 
And that was how it was for my childhood. I had a very scary night times. And so I have been married for 17 years and done anxiety talks for a good most of that marriage time. But there are still times at night when my heart starts to go and my belly starts to go and I can feel that anxiety. Now I'm safe in my bed with my amazing husband and my dad is very far away from me. But my body still feels fear. And one day he asked me, he's like, Catherine, you're an international speaker on anxiety. Why do you have anxiety? Like, why is that? And I said, because I'm a human and I have an animal brain that I don't have control over. And sometimes my brain will remember things that scare it. Or there will be senses that will remind, sometimes the night, sometimes a smell, sometimes a sound will take that animal brain and it will remember that moment just like I was a little kid. And in that moment, even as the international counselor on anxiety, I could say, Catherine, you're stupid, you're bad, why? What's wrong with you? Or I can get off the hamster wheel Thank God for my anxiety, for him keeping me safe in the moments of danger that helped me when I was a little kid. And I can remember that I don't need them today. Okay, so tell me more about how deep breathing helps anxiety. This is one of my favorite memes as a counselor. Okay, so take a moment. How many people have heard when they're anxious or doing anything, everyone's like, take a deep breath. How many of you think it's a stupid advice and you hate it and you find it annoying? Oh, there's some honesty out there, right? And the reason I love this is because the reason that Willy Wonka has that face is because we don't know why. We don't know why we're doing what we're doing. And that is what Sacred Heart Mental Wellness's goal is, is to not just tell you some strategies to do that you may or may not believe are good and may or may not work. Instead, I'm going to give you strategies and tell you exactly how they work based on what we know how the body works. Because intentionality is the trick to having tools work or not work. The more effective the tool is, is based on how much you understand that it's working. So when I take a deep breath and I breathe in really big, it actually forces my body to slow my heart rate down. It's the one way that I can start controlling that animal brain. Because I can take that deep breath and my heart rate starts to drop. I can control it. Okay, so these are the strategies that we're going to go through. If you go to the, the booth and you get the book, there's a ton more strategies and a lot more um, example into each one of these. But I wanted to give you some basic ideas of tools that you can use. So the first one we have, we talked about, is taking that deep breath. Okay, when you take this deep breath, it is also very, very, very important to give yourself time, right? We live in the McDonald's day, right? I want it now and I want it my way. But if we think about stress hormones similar to alcohol, you can't drink a like four or five beers and then will yourself sober, right? Your body has to process that. So part of those taking deep breaths, I ask people to give yourself a good 10, 15 minutes of taking those deep breaths so that you can start to work through that stress hormone. The hamster wheel stops the production. We still need about 10, 20 minutes, depending on how well you are at um, identifying your, your anxious response starts to actually start feeling that benefit. But it's not because it's not working. It's because that is already in your system. 
right? So we take those deep breaths, okay? We have journaling, okay? Journaling is one of those that's a proactive tool, and it's because when I have something in my head, it is 100% true. So in my head, I could be a six foot one professional volleyball player. Okay, yes, I have issues about my height. Okay, it's true, right? I could be that. I could be the worst mother in the world. I could be the ugliest person. I could be the worst, you know, wife. I could be all these things. Anything that I think in my head is true, right? And that's triggering to that animal brain. But instead, when I write it down, I can look at it and be like, no. I call it weeding the garden. You just take out some of those weeds and all those thoughts that are in there can go away. And you can burn that paper, you can tear it up. I don't, I'm not a big fan of always keeping things because sometimes we need those to just go away. Okay. Grounding. Now, I always like to say that anxiety rests right here, okay? It's not concrete, it's not what's in front of me. It's kind of abstract in this place. Because honestly, if there's a bear, please don't take deep breaths and start journaling. I don't want that liability, right? So when there's a bear, thank God, fight or flight, go, right? But if it's not a bear, we have to ground ourselves. We have to take our animal brain and talk to it exactly the way that it understands with our senses. And so grounding is, like, is using your senses to bring yourself right here, right? So let's say that I'm sitting in this conference right now and I'm starting to feel anxious and yes I know no one wants to do their anxiety where are their anxiety exercises where anyone can see right so you're here in this conference you I could be feeling anxious right here and I could take a moment to ground myself and you would have no idea right I could be like okay I see the bright light I feel the heaviness of my jacket I feel the sweat on my brow I can taste my coffee from the morning I can go through all my senses and help my mind know that I am here and I'm in a place where I am safe, okay? And the key thing to always say is like, I am safe. And that is interesting and it's really hard for especially parents or someone who's trying to love someone with anxiety is because you never think to say you are safe because you're in yourself, you're like, obviously you're safe, obviously you're great, right? But their animal brains don't feel safe. So I ground myself and like, here I am in a safe place at night when I'm going to bed and I'm feeling anxious, I sit with my weighted blanket and I have my essential oils going and I you know, can feel the weight, I can smell the oils, I can see my bedroom and I can start grounding myself in what I am here safe, I'm not back in the time of my childhood. So you can ground yourself with your senses. With people who have really severe anxiety, sometimes I have them like bite on a lemon or eat a hot tamale just because it kind of tricks your brain into being like, ooh, that's different. Now I have something really concrete to bring me into this moment. Okay, exercise. Now, you could probably guess that I'm not going to come be like Pat Castle and tell you to run a marathon. You should run, you know, for the babies, but maybe not a marathon. But when I talk about exercise, I'm not actually speaking about like three days a week, all those. Those definitely help. But I'm talking about in the moment. Because remember, you have all those stress hormones that are ready to fight or flight. And we like to say, oh no, I have all these stress hormones, I'm gonna sit right here and think about it. And those hormones are like, oh, come on, I need to do something. So what I need you to do is get up, take a little walk around your room. Do a, you know, even do some little wall push-ups, do bend your knees a couple times, do something that says, okay, I have these stress hormones, I'm gonna do something with them so that 
I can have a purpose so they can get used instead of me just kind of holding them in a soda can, shaking them up, getting them more and more, right? So when I talk about exercise, I'm talking about using motions that will help those muscles to get some action. I'm not saying you have to run a marathon, okay? Healthy eating and avoiding caffeine. Now again, I'm not here to tell you you should never have a carb or you should only eat, you know, roughage. That's not what I'm talking about with healthy eating. What I am talking about is that what happens a lot of times is people will say, I can't go to sleep at night. I'm so anxious, my heart rate is going so fast. And I'll say, okay, well tell me what your day looks like. Well, I start with like three or four Starbucks, then I have a Mountain Dew and a Monster right about eight o'clock and I just don't know why I can't sleep. Okay, so we just wanna look at those things, right? And again, these are all things that after you've gotten off the hamster wheel, because what tends to happen if we look at the progression of anxiety is I do all those sugars and those caffeines and then when my brain starts running at night, I'm like, what's wrong with me? I'm bad, I'm weak, right? So what we're trying to do is to stop that and also see what are the things that we're doing that might be making those feelings worse, okay? And the last one that I wanna talk about today is imagery. Now, imagery is a way that we can trick our animal brain into using our senses, okay? So if you right now think about apple pie, do you know what apple pie tastes like? and you know what it smells like, right? You can take, feel the crunch of the, hopefully you know that double crust is not as good as crunchy topping, so when I think about it, I like to eat the crunchy topping, so you feel that texture, right? You can imagine that. So sometimes when we use imagery, what we need to do is take a moment and think about a safe place in your memory that gives you peace, of a place that you are happy and you are calm. And you can go there for two, three minutes in your mind if you think of it through your senses and it will calm your animal brain. Now, again, I wanna to touch back a little bit about all of these strategies I'm trying to give you are ones that you can do in the sanctity of your own mind. Because as much as I as a counselor wish that anxiety was talked about openly and we could not feel any you know, shame about it because there's nothing to shame, I don't know any person who wants to be sitting in a conference going, I'm doing my deep breathing, <sighs> right? We want to be able to do it just in our mind. So I could, so you could be sitting there in this, in this talk right now and you could be thinking of that place where you remember having calm and peace. And it can be anything, like, I'm going to give you mine and then I'll give you some of the examples that people have had that I think are really fun. Um, so mine is I used to live in the East Coast, and we had five acres of grass, and we had this beautiful walnut tree, and on that walnut tree was an old port swing. So whenever I think of my safe place, it's when I would sit on that port swing, and I could feel the roughness of the chair where, like, you know, it needed to be resanded, so when you moved, you kind of stuck to it, and I could hear the squeaking of those old um, hinges, and I can taste the bitterness of my coffee, and I can smell the pollen, like if you've ever been to the East Coast, you can like wipe the pollen off the you know, car top, it's so thick. And I can see the wind blowing through the grasses and I can take a moment and I can just sit there. And I can feel like I, through those senses, I'm almost there again. And that's my safe place. Now sometimes that place is very unique to you, okay? And the reason I say this is one of my favorite things about being a counselor in Kansas is I always ask my clients to tell me what their 
their places so I can help them go there when they need to. And one of my favorite was a farm girl who told me her favorite was moving cattle with her dad. And her smell was the smell of the cows, you know what I mean? Right? And like even his gruff voice fighting with the cows and it was like that memory of those joyous times moving cattle with her dad as a kid was one of her favorite memories. And so I give that example because sometimes we think it has to be this beautiful, serene situation, but actually it's just where you felt happiness and joy. Another one of mine, uh, I had a client who used to be from Mexico and hers was sitting in her grandmother's terracotta, like she had a couch and it was kind of really rough, but she had cold terracotta tiles on the floor and her sound was the sound of her aunts gibber and jabbering in the kitchen. So she's sitting on the couch with her cold feet on the tiles, listening to her grandparents, uh, her aunts and uncles just kind of gibber jabbering in the kitchen, and then the smell of the food that they were making. And those were kind of her senses. So when you think of that imagery, I really want you to think about what is personal to you, what fits your safe place, and you can go there in your mind. And when we do these strategies, again, I'm going to end with give yourself time to learn these, to practice these. There's been studies after studies done that say that when we have an anxious response, it's happening for 10 to 15 minutes before we even feel it, okay? So by the time you're starting to feel anxiety, that animal brain has been pumping that adrenaline and cortisol for 15 to 20 minutes before you've even realized it. So as much as I would love to give you some magic thing that makes it stop in the moment, I don't have that because it doesn't exist. But what I can do is we can get off the hamster wheel. We can know that we are good. We can start the process with the tools that we have and we can stop it from escalating and then move off to where it starts to subside. Okay. So taking it to the cross. One of the things that I have always enjoyed as a Catholic counselor is going to secular conferences um, to learn about different techniques on how to be a counselor and what we should do to help people's mental health, and then realizing that our church has had it the whole time. When they're like, I don't know why this works, I'm like, Jesus, that's why it works. And so when we think about some of the strategies that we have had, we've talked about, I want us to think about how it has already, it is already in our church, as if God knew when he created us exactly what we needed, and he created a church that was exactly what we needed, because he loves us, because he created us good. So the sacraments. Now, I do want to give a quick disclaimer, especially for Father here, I keep getting eyes with Father, is that I know about the graces of the sacraments. I know about the spiritual benefits, but though that I'm not talking about those today because I'm trying to show you how not only are there graces, but they're also like, it touches our senses. Like our church was built for our senses too because we are humans, right? We have that humanity also, right? We're spirit and body. And so not only is there graces, I'm just not ignoring those, they're important, but that's not the point of today's talk. Okay, so when we talk about the sacraments, I first want to think about how much they touch our senses. There's smell, there's sound, there's comfort, there's quiet, there's meditation, right? I think about confession. The, Dr. Ray talked about this last night in the question and answers that basically if you do studies of mental health, the people who have the strongest mental health are 
um, religious people and you even take it farther to Catholics because one of the first things you'll learn in a secular situation with anxiety, with depression, is you have to let go of the things of the past. And it's just so beautiful that God came to redeem the world. And when he came, he wasn't like, oh, you guys will be perfect. I'm not going to make it. I don't need to do anything because obviously it will be great. He put confession in the beginning. Like, he's there. He's like, I'm going to give you confession before I leave because I know you're probably going to struggle. That's how much he knows us, right? And we as Catholics are thinking, oh, I should never make a mistake. I should be perfect. That's what anxiety lies and tells you. But the sacraments are there because God knew we needed them. Right? I also like to think about adoration. Adoration, again, is a place, when I think of adoration, I'm actually talking about when you go to adoration. Because anxiety, one of the biggest lies it also tells us is that we're alone. And adoration is a place where God reaches, is right there with you to walk through those thoughts, those concerns, to help you weed the garden. It's a place where you can take those fears and he can carry them and walk with you through them. Okay, prayer and rosary. I want to talk a lot about rosary today because I feel like we as Catholics don't realize how powerful the rosary is. And especially this is for, your, for kids, but anyone who's into that new way who has tempted, there's a lot of temptation out into this new age way of meditation. And I always find it so interesting that they're trying to steal something we had first, right? The rosary. Rosary is very meditative, right? It is continuing. It is repetitive. It is meditative. And it helps you to get into that place where someone else is carrying your cross. It is helping you with that. So um, I'm a big believer in the rosary. Uh, one strategy I give a lot of my clients is at night is normally when anxiety is the worst. And so what I like to do is have them put on an audio rosary. Because if you're an anxious person, the rosary is actually very hard because the whole time you're thinking, did I meditate right? Did I meditate wrong? Did I do nine? Did I do 11? Did I do six? How did I do it right? Did I do it right? And so when you just put it on the audio, you know that it's the right. And so then you can just actually be with Mary. Um, I also am a big believer in taking your, uh, as a prayer before bed, um, taking all your fears, kind of that journaling it out and actually putting it on a cross, giving it to Mary, kind of saying like, I can't do anything with this tonight, but you can, and I can pick you up in the morning. Or I can pick up that paper in the morning, but to actually write them down, or if you have a patron saint of your family, and this is a great activity to do with kids. We have done that with our kids um, during really hard times where we take our fears and we put them um, to our Mary statues so that she can carry them for us during that time. Okay, what's the next? I see. Okay. Um, okay, so that is, now we're going to kind of switch over because we're having some trouble with technology, but we're going to switch over and we're going to start talking about, okay, so now that we understand we have all these tools, I do want to take some time to talk with you about what I talk to your kids about. So I went through this very briefly with the kids yesterday so that they had a basic idea. As a counselor, there's two things that I think are very important to me, is not only to help the person who has anxiety, but to help the people who love the people with anxiety. I feel we really need to be working to help both because we want to help people. We want to love them in their wounds, but so often we don't know how. And so when I was talking to the kids yesterday, 
I wanted to bring that up to them, that we're here to work together. Okay, sorry, I'm distracted by the light. Okay. Actually, okay, well, no, go back. Sorry, I forgot that slide was in there. I'm human. Okay, because I do want to talk about this. Okay, the other factors that affect the anxiety. Um, we're going to talk about, so there's three main kind of phases that we go through when I work with someone with counseling, and I think they're really important for you to know. So when we talk about anxiety, it's normally a symptom of other things. So I believe that everybody has a hold. These are things in their life that they don't like that they want to go away. Now, this could be something that's abuse. It could be something that's hurt um, parents that have struggled in the past. But it, sometimes it's personality things. Like half my caseload are introverts who think they should be extroverts, right? It could be people who wish they were taller. It could be a million different things. But we all have these holes, and we want them to go away. So what do we do? We fill them up with sand. Okay, now that sand can be your traditional drugs, alcohol, sex but it can be depression, anxiety, it can be control, it can be eating, not eating. You know, in many years of practice, I've seen all different types of different sands. But what it is, is for a second, that hole goes away, and it feels really good. Right, why do we do drugs? Because we get high. And for a second, all my problems go away. But then what happens? I try to build my house on this hole full of sand, and what happens? It falls. And then what do we do? We put in more sand. <laughs> but this time we're going to put in a lot of sand. I'm going to shove it in there. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to do it better. And I'm going to put that all in. And then I'm going to try to build my house. And then it falls. And a lot of times this is where we find a lot of people who are struggling. Sand, house, falls, more sand, house, falls. And so what we have to do is we have to start taking that sand out. Now, this isn't something that I'm asking you to do for them, but what I'm telling you is I think you need to know the different stages so when someone's struggling, you can help them see that there's one hope and two, that kind of where they may be and where they may need to go. So the first step is we have to get the sand out of the hole and we have to understand it. And then once we know that there's a hole and we see it, then we can start building what I call the basement. The basement is when we get some structure and foundations to understand what is our hole? Why does it affect us? We put two by fours and cement down, and then we have structure to that hole. As I said, my dad was an alcoholic when I was a child, so most of my life I was the daughter of an alcoholic. Until one day I learned that I was Catherine, whose dad was an alcoholic. When I was able to make some of those hurts part of my basement that I never have to go into. I don't have to live in the basement anymore but that basement isn't gonna be the cause of my house falling anymore. I have a good, strong foundation. And then once we get through building that good hole, then we can start building our house. And there's two main ways in which we have to start building that house, two things we have to do. One is acceptance. Sometimes we have to accept that God knows what's better for our life than we do. And that is hard. Sometimes we have to know that God maybe wanted me doing this and not being a professional volleyball player, even though anytime I watch my teenage volleyball players, I want to live through them. We have to accept that God knew when he made us that we were good. The second part we have to do is we have to come to forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is really hard because I think the world teaches us a lie. It says you have to forgive and forget. We can't forget. I know what happened to me when I was a kid. But what we need to do is forgive as Jesus forgave. 
right? Because when the world tells us that we have to say it's okay, if you've had a trauma in your life, most of the time the hardest reason to forgive is you're like, if I forgive them, I have to say that it's okay. But when Jesus died on the cross for us and he's up there hanging, he didn't say, oh, your sins are totally okay. He said, I love you more than your sins. I love you and your future and my love for you and us being together in heaven more than any of your sins. So we have to forgive like Jesus forgives. Now, the best analogy I like to give in an earthly sense of that forgiveness is kind of like a bank. So when you get a lot of debt and you go to bankrupt court and you go to them and you say, hey, look, I have a lot of debt. I'm not going to pay it back. The bank doesn't go, great, that's fine. You look so good in that new outfit. I like your car just the way I like it. No, they say, I'm gonna, it's going to cost me more to try to get this debt paid than I will, that I'll never be able to get paid. So I'm going to forgive the debt. Okay, I'm going to forgive that debt. But then they lower your credit score a little bit, right? Because they don't want it to happen again, right? And so the reason I use this analogy when it comes to forgiveness is that a lot of times people think once I've forgiven, I have to let this person back in my life. Everything has to be okay. No, we can have good, healthy boundaries that give us a healthy relationship with that person or with that wound. We don't have to completely just, you know, let them back in to hurt us, but we can forgive and then have new healthy boundaries moving on. And if that's something that you're interested in, I am offering a new class next week to start talking about how to make intentional boundaries that work. So now to go back to what we talked about, um, talking with the children, okay? So what do parents need to know when talking to their children about their uh, mental health, okay? Our kids' worlds is different than ours, okay? I am a parent of teenagers, and I know that I want to tell them that I understand what their life was like because mine was really hard growing up, but I don't. I do not understand this world that they're in, and you don't know the world that they're in. Technology has changed, their pressures have changed. The world is so different today than it was when we were younger. And when we can come to our children with humility, and I, I ask them, I'm like, teach me, help me to understand what you're going through, because I don't know. I want to know because I love you, and I want to know you. But when I can take a minute, and I can learn from them to better understand their struggles, the more they're going to be open to talking to me. Okay, kids need you even when they act like they don't. Okay, and these next two go together. So kids need you even when they act like they don't. And um, look for the diamond moments. Okay, so what's a diamond moment? A diamond moment, and I challenge the kids on this, okay? So this is, a diamond moment is the moment your kid decides, I want to talk to you. They have thought about it 500 times. They've thought about how they're gonna ask you about going to this dance. They've, thought, they've played out the scenarios in their head and they come up to you and they're, they say, hey dad, I wanna go to this dance. And dad most likely has just gotten home from work, has to use the bathroom, hasn't eaten in eight, eight hours and he's not ready to listen to the diamond moment, right? And so dad comes in and he's like, hey, uh, yeah, okay, no, you can't go to the dance. 
And then the kid's like, oh, I'm not going to talk to them again. And so we have to be aware of the diamond moments. Just be a lookout for them. Now, what I told your children, I told them this exact same story, except I challenged them. I said, your dad has to use the bathroom. It's okay. Like, to give him a moment and say, hey, mom, I know you're really busy. I have something I'd like to talk to you about. When would be a good time? Right? And I'm telling you this now so that if in the next couple of weeks they come to you and they say, hey, mom, dad, I really, is there a time to talk? I want you to remember and say, oh my gosh, this is a diamond. I got to take care of the diamond. They want to talk. I'm going to take this moment. But it's about working together that like they have to understand that you have a lot going on and that you want to hear, but they also need to give you the time to hear. Okay. Kids don't need your fixes or your answers, at least not right away. Okay. Even young kids need a time to process their feelings and their ideas to think about. Very often, they will come to a good solution at the end with very little guidance. I mean, with, with just little guideposts helping them down the path. But we as parents, we live in a world that we're very busy. And we already can tell that, you know, my, my child might say, oh, I think I'm going to go over to Timmy's house this weekend. And you already know that Timmy's mom's out of town, and that's not going to happen. And you're like, why are we having this conversation? That's not going to happen. Right? So we cut them off so they stop talking. So sometimes we have to realize that they actually just need us to listen first. To just say, okay, you want to go to Timmy's house? What's your thoughts? What are you thinking? When would you like to go? Have you talked to Timmy about it? Have you talked to Timmy's mom? Like, you might not already know the, that answer farther down the road, but sometimes they need the space to figure it out themselves, to know that you're on their side to listen and to talk to them, not just to be the straight authoritarian saying yes or no. And of course, that's not on moral issues, but just on that, like, letting them talk it through, see where they're at, don't make assumptions that you already know the answer, give them a chance to talk it through first, okay? And then the last thing that I want to talk about is don't be a bully. Okay, don't be a bully is something I talked to them about. And I asked them, I was like, tell me, have any of you been told not to be a bully? And they're all like, yes, yes, you know, they go through it through school and everything. And I'm like, but what about being a bully to yourself? And I think that this is really important because all of you out here, most likely say things to yourselves that you would never, ever say to anyone else. When on, you're on that hamster wheel and you're beating yourself up and being a bully, you're doing it to yourself much harder than you would when you talk to your friend who's having the exact same problem. And so I challenge the kids to not be a bully to themselves. But I also, I have a sticker that I sell at my booth and it says, don't be a bully to yourself. And I call it a Nike moment. And what I mean by a Nike moment is that if I say the word Nike, you know exactly what it means. You know what they sell, you know how long they've been around, you know it. And so when anytime you see that little Nike swo swoosh, you know what it is. And I want to ask these, your, the parents to consider getting this sticker and putting it somewhere where your kid is going to see it. They're going to tell you that they don't need it. I don't do that. I'm fine. They need it. They need those little reminders, and you'll say, oh, they won't even look at it. They won't notice. 
But what will happen is it, their brain will see it even when they don't see it. If you think about it, when you leave today, think about how much you read that you don't even notice that you read, right? When you're driving downtown, you know all the signs, you're reading them. You might not cognitively be reading them, but you are impressing those thoughts in there. That's why you know where the Chick-fil-A is tomorrow, because it's Monday, you can go eat at Chick-fil-A. So it's one of those things that I want to see around everywhere so people will get little reminders, wait, am I being a bully to myself? Because they understand that bullying is wrong, they haven't been challenged to not bully themselves. Okay. And then also my book, and it's really hard for me to do this because I feel, my husband said, Catherine, you are such a great speaker, you are horrible at selling your stuff. I'm like, I know. So it's hard for me to say this, but when I say this, I mean it with the dearest of my heart. When I wrote my book, I wrote it because it's empowering. It helps people to feel that they are not bad because they are have anxiety, and the world tells us that we are bad because we have anxiety. So I also would love to sell out of my book so that you can have it in your house. And I know that your kid is not going to come to you and say, Mom, you got this book for me. Thank you. It's what I've always wanted. How'd you know? It's better than Taylor Swift tickets. <laughs> They're not going to say that. But do you know what is going to happen? There's going to be a day that they're really sad and the world is really heavy, and it's really dark, and they don't know where to go. And they're gonna be wandering through the house, you know, like they do. And they're gonna see it on your bookshelf, and they might pick it up. So I have that book there as something to help kids in those moments that's really dark, and they need to know that God loves them, and they are good, and there are tools. It's there as a safety on those hard days. So I'm right over here. You can come to the booth if you have any questions. Talk to you about it.